0: From Ezekiel, chapter 34, starting at verse 11. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I'll feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land And on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. As for you, my flock, thus says the Lord God Behold, I judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and male goats. Is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture, that you must tread down with your feet the rest of your pasture? And to drink of clear water, that you must muddy the rest of the water with your feet? And must my sheep eat what you have trodden down with your feet? And drink what you have muddied with your feet. Therefore thus says the Lord God to them, Behold, I, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. Because you push with side and shoulder, and thrust at all the weak with your horns till you have scattered them aboard, I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey. And I will judge between sheep and sheep. <clears throat> And I'll set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them, he shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord, I have spoken.
1: There we go, all right. Welcome everyone. Um. Thank you for allowing me to preach the sermon this morning. It's um, a few years ago we decided in leadership that the elders would all get a chance to to preach once a year. And um, and I think at the time, I remember the meeting well. Um, at the time I thought, yeah, let's do that. That's a great idea. And uh, then I stand up here now and think, what am I doing? Um, but... The preparation for this has been fantastic. I think if you ask John and Mick, uh, they would also say the preparation to um, to preach is is something that you know we don't go through that kind of study uh, often um, in our personal lives. So it's um, really beneficial for us. So um, I pray that the message this morning is an encouragement to everyone, but also uh, as it has been for me, a real challenge as well. I'm going to just quickly pray because I'm a little bit nervous, so I'm going to pray and then, then we'll get into it. Father God, I just want to thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that your word challenges us but encourages, encourages us so much. I pray, Father, that this message and your word would, um, it would do exactly that and that we would gain even more of an understanding of who you are and the character of you this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, <laughs> Paul says something in two Corinthians chapter two verse one. He says that he didn't come with eloquent speech. Um, so I sort of take a bit of encouragement from that because I don't speak very eloquently. But then Paul goes on and speaks incredibly eloquently, I think. Um, so let's let's move on. I wanted to spend a little bit of time on talking about why I chose Ezekiel. Um, and this particular passage, but I must say, I timed my message, and I don't think I've got the time to to go too too far into it. Um, it's definitely not a passage that I would have jumped to. If you had asked me six months ago what I'm going to speak on, Ezekiel was not the thing that I would have spoken on. I didn't know much about Ezekiel as a person, let alone the book, um, but I, did a, I went away with my family and my sister and my brother-in-law, and uh, what I... Learnt, uh, we did a couple little studies on the start of Ezekiel and I was really captivated by the man and what he had to do his message um, and the time of Israel at that time um, so in particular with Ezekiel 34 uh, verse 11 to 24 there's a couple a couple of points that I'd like us to all take out of that I've um, really found stands out and one of them is that God is a holy God while it doesn't say it explicitly in the passage um the visions that Ezekiel gets throughout is, uh, the visions that Ezekiel gets um really expresses the holiness of God and the glory of god um and that it is something that 's quite impossible for us to fully understand on earth um, It is something that we should long to understand and be in awe of, and the second thing is that in the midst of us serving a holy God that Incredibly, God seeks us out. Um, God seeks us out as a sinful, fallen people and says that he will be our shepherd. So the context, uh, Ezekiel, uh, through observing other nations, wanted kings. Um, So they spent a few hundred years having kings. They chose kings, but they chose kings that were uh, pretty ordinary. Most of them, they'd done evil in the sight of the Lord. Um, and they turned, they themselves personally and then through, through their leadership turned Israel into becoming an idolatrous people. They forgot and turned their backs on the glory and the holiness of their living God, and God has had enough. He uses King Nebuchadnezzar as his instrument to discipline Israel, and God uses it um, to teach them again that disobedience to God and not glorifying him will ultimately lead to death. So amongst many other things, Israel had walked away from worshipping God and had, become, and had been worshipping idols. Surely, uh, Sure, God is a gracious and loving God, and we would all attest to that. But God is also very just and also holy. and He will not let the Israelites go unpunished. God's holiness had been trodden on in front of all the nations. God had said, enough is enough. Now I want to pick up on, on the holiness of God, Um, I guess for the reasons that I said earlier with the the visions of Israel and his message. God says in chapter 5, verse 5 to 9 and explains why he has fully responded this way and why God is angry. God says this. He says, this is what the sovereign Lord says. This is Jerusalem, which I have set in the center of the nations with countries all around her. Yet in her wickedness, She has rebelled against my laws and decrees more than the nations and countries around her. She has rejected my laws and not followed my decrees. Therefore, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, you have been more unruly than the nations around you and you have not followed my decrees or kept my laws. You have not even conformed to the standards of the nations around you. That really struck me that (laughs) they didn't even stand out to the standards of the nations around them. This is what the Sovereign Lord says, I myself am against you, Jerusalem, and I will inflict punishment on you in the sight of all the nations. Because of your detestable idols, I will do to you what I've never done before and will never do again. While this passage, and really the whole book of Ezekiel, is speaking directly to and about the Israelites, the power of this chapter and the whole book of of Ezekiel would be lost if we thought that that problem was just an israelite problem the people of israel didn't pursue the holiness of god they turned to idolatry and we are no different unless we turn our focus and our eyes to god and to his holiness what we'll what we will have is one or two or many things that we consciously or unconsciously idolize so god calls ezekiel a priest to be his prophet Ezekiel was to be a watchman or a gatekeeper of Israel who warns and prophesies to them of the things to come because of their rebellion. Ezekiel also bears some of their punishment. In chapter 4, he has to bear the punishment of Israel and Judah because of their rebellion. And I would encourage you to have a look at chapter 4. It's in a remarkable chapter of how Ezekiel, who is God's chosen prophet, has to bear the punishment of Israel and Judah um, he also loses his wife in chapter twenty four and is not allowed to mourn his wife. all of us have lost people in our lives um, and some recently imagine not being able to mourn your your lost your loved one um, because that was the will of God now there was a purpose there um, of course Ezekiel and many other prophets in the in the Bible took and saw. Uh, took seriously the glory and the holiness of God and took ser- seriously the obedience to that God, or to our God. At the start of Ezekiel, God is full of wrath towards his people. God gives Ezekiel a vision that tells of God's power, sovereignty, of holiness. They were so overwhelming. Ezekiel says in chapter 3, verse 14, The Spirit lifted me up and took me away, and I went in bitterness in the heat of my spirit and the hand of the Lord being strong upon me. And I came to the exiles at Telabib, who were dwelling by the Chieba Canal, and I sat there dwelling. I sat, I sat where they were dwelling, and I sat there overwhelmed for seven days. Matthew Henry, in his commentary, says that perhaps Ezekiel had seen the difficulty Jeremiah had had while he was in Jerusalem and the bad treatment that he received there, so he was discouraged. Ezekiel knew the task ahead and was in the that it was in the face of opposition. But he was helped and strengthened by God's spirit. God says to Ezekiel that um, Israel's foreheads had been hardened and flattened. Um, but then tells Ezekiel that, his, that God would make his face and his forehead hardened and flattened as well, um, preparing him for, for the task ahead. So when we jump to chapter 34, after twelve years, about 12 years has passed from Ezekiel's first vision from God, and we now hear God saying, but in a different way, enough is enough. While God is fed up and angry because his holy name had been profaned, we are about to see that God is also incredibly gracious and true to his promises. Although he is just in his ruling, he's also willing to forgive. Why? After all the Israelites had done and continued to do, but God is willing to do this for his name's sake. All of what we read through Ezekiel and of the Bible is for God's holy name's sake. We will see in this passage that God's holiness is something that we must take seriously. So I'm sure Ezekiel must have been longing for this day to come. He'd gone through all of these trials and now God had said, enough is enough, I'm going to come down and I myself am going to lead. Now briefly, the immediate context to, to verses 11 to 16 in chapter 34, is actually about the leadership that Israel had had at the start. So if you read the first half of 34, um, God's addressing the, the leadership. So why am I preaching, uh, and I was challenged by this, why am I preaching it to the whole church? Why is this not just a message to leadership? Well, I actually think that it's a message that we all should listen to and we, sh- we, all, should, uh, we all can get something out of. Chapter 34, verse 11, God says, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. Firstly, we see how God gets the attention of, his, of the reader and the listener. He says, Behold, if I got up here and said, Behold, and that was the first thing I started, you guys might think, oh, here we go. Another word could be observe. Observe is something that's about to happen. Don't just listen, but, but look at what, uh, that, what God's saying. Don't just listen, look at what I'm about to do. Then God says, it's like he emphasizes, he says, I I will do the searching. God doesn't say that he will send someone else. God says he will do it. Have you ever witnessed a parent desperately looking for their child? Maybe you've been a parent looking for their child. Uh, I've witnessed it a few times. Um, I've witnessed it in a shopping center when I worked in the shopping center for a few years. I've witnessed it in a uh, caravan park where the parents were just going crazy. They couldn't find their child. You're helpless. If you're in a caravan park, you're near the beach. Is your child at the beach? Is your child in the bush? Are they on the road? These days, one of the quickest things that comes to mind is, has someone taken our child? I remember um, in Pambula a few years ago, um, a little girl... Went missing, not for a long time, but went missing, and she was following. She thought she was following her sister, um, but she wasn't. And she started. F- she ended up following another group of girls. Ended up at the way down the other end of the caravan park. And um, anyway, a little example of <laughs> someone who thinks they're following the right direction and just isn't, and just ends up somewhere else. And the, anyway, the, the parents ended up finding one, are finding her. But I'd like to mention a story. This really is an amazing story. In 1994, a Chinese girl by the name of Kui Feng, I think, um, went missing at the age of three. Her parents were selling food at a stall and suddenly realised that she was gone. So they spent the following weeks looking for a sign that she was still alive. Years passed and while they kept searching, nothing came up. In 2015, 21 years later, her father became a taxi driver in hope that she would one day use a taxi. Could you imagine every day waking up going to work with a hope that you would see your daughter after all those years jumping in your taxi? You go home to your wife's daily hopeful look, only to say that nothing happened that day. They sent a photo around social media. Uh, sorry, the reason for him becoming a taxi driver went viral in China. And the police, a police sketch artist met with him uh, and drew up a sketch of what she might have looked like 24 years later. They sent the photo around on social media and Kui Feng ended up seeing this sketch and contacted, contacting her father. And last year they were reunited finally after a persistent father who never stopped searching for his daughter. What a wonderful story of a father who never gave up, just continued to look, continued to try and find, never gave up hope that his daughter was still alive. And God similarly says to us that he will do the seeking out. So for the Israelites... Peace and joy should fill their hearts right now, yeah? But they've been disobedient, so should it still? I mean, they're a disobedient people. That was the issue with the Israelites. How far will God go to seek them out? Well, we see that God is willing, even in his disobedience, to seek and save the lost. He has chosen no matter how far they are strayed from God. If you think you've str- so if you think you've strayed too far from God, know that you can't actually stray too far from God. If you're sitting here thinking that you are just totally out of touch with who God is, where he is in your life, that's not possible. God, the, probably the fact that you're actually here <laughs> says that God is, God's brought you here. God is shepherding you in the right direction. He will find you. Maybe, you need to, maybe you're at the stage where you just need to recognize that He has found you and you need to give yourself to Him. God is relentless, even in our disobedience. He seeks us out in order to save us. Even in our deepest struggles and valleys, God searches for us and reveals Himself once more, that He is indeed Lord of our lives and everything in it, and that He is faithful to His promises. Verse 24 says, I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on the day of of clouds and thick darkness. Israel, through exile, yes, but also through disobedience and idol worship were scattered. They were geographically and spiritually scattered. They were a lost people. But God did not give up hope nor find, sorry, God does not give up or not find those he has chosen. The brilliant news for the Israelites was that God was promising to gather his people and promise to bring them back to Jerusalem, even in disobedience. David says in Psalm 139, verse 7 to 14, Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? This is not an obedient David. This is disobedience. This is disobedience like it was Jonah's disobedience, like it sometimes is with our disobedience. If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. My soul knows it very well. This psalm and the passage of Ezekiel has a very similar sort of ring to it. A rebellious people running away from God, doing evil in the sight of the Lord, but God still seeks them out. God still says, enough is enough. I am the Lord your God and you shall know it. So after a a few encouraging verses on God's promise to seek and feed his lost sheep, what do we make of verse 17 to 21. It's probably the most difficult, challenging part of this passage. He talks about seeking out the lost, but it's almost like he talks about seeking out those that are doing the scattering as well. I think it's a clear warning for God's people, uh, for people who live as God's people. For all those that believe that they are in the fold. But what does Jesus say in Matthew 7? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Jesus is talking to a people who don't see God as holy, they're serving themselves. And as God says in Ezekiel, He talks. He uses those words, "fattened sheep." This is a a strong message to all of us, isn't it? So, what does holy look like? We say it all the time, don't we? Especially when we when we put it with holy scriptures or holy spirit. God is set apart. He is unique. He has the perfect ability to create create anything. In the most beautiful and powerful way, God's holiness is so intense and powerful that if you come too close to it, you would not survive. Um, I was going to chuck up a little, a little clip, but the Bible Project do a little, a great little clip of the holiness of God um, as the sun, and uses the sun as an example. And the sun is beautiful and awesome, and if but if you go too close to it, you die in the sun if you're if you're if the right distance from the sun it's perfect isn't it? It's just beautiful. We see it in the story of Moses and the burning bush. We see it with the priests who go into the most holy place in the temple. Can we grasp the true holiness of God on earth? No. But we should strive to know it and delight in it. Revelation verse four eleven verse, uh, sorry, chapter four Verse 8 to 11 says this Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory to and honor and thanks to Him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before who is seated on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory, honor, and power. For you created all things. By your will they exist and were created. The living crea- these living creatures that were describing that in this vision, they delighted in the holiness of God. R.C. Sproul says something. It's a, actually a tough quote to, to hear in some ways, um, but I'm going to read it. If you don't delight in the fact that your Father is holy holy, holy, then you are spiritually dead. You may be in church. You may even go to a Christian school. But there is no, But if there is no delight in your soul for the holiness of God, you don't know God. You don't love God. You're out of touch with God. You're asleep to his character. That last bit there is probably what I want to touch on. The character of God is that he's holy, that he's set apart. So we can definitely delight in the holiness of God. What else do you think would happen though if we, if, we, um, if we understand the holiness of God? Billy Graham says this, only if we understand the holiness of God will we understand the depth of our sin. That for me really points to, I, I summarise it quite well for me I think. The holiness of God is something that we must long to grasp and understand in order to worship and glorify God. As we should. So, God speaks of people who are muddying up the clean waters, the clean and pure waters of God, for God's children. So, how could we be muddying up the waters for each other? Well, in Ezekiel and for the Israelites, the issue was idolatry. So, uh, I guess the challenge is can we identify? Are ourselves or can people around us help us identify what exactly are we idolizing? What are we putting before, before God? But other things, to, disunity, greed, power, gossip, lust, bitterness, anger, not presenting the whole truth of the gospel. How are we presenting the glory and the holiness of God to those around us? There were those in Israel that were guilty of this. Verse 19 says, Must my sheep eat and drink where you have trodden with your feet? God says to Israel, Present me as a good and pure holy God. But even to the nations around me, or around you. I haven't got this in my notes, but I was just thinking about this before. Um, Could you imagine if, I mean as, as parents, you, you go to the park or you go somewhere and you've got your kids and you've got standards for your kids and and you go to the you, I don't know I live in Croydon, so it's pretty easy to come up with kids that are a bit unruly but but if you, 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 if you go to a playground or you go somewhere and you, and, and you, you're walking up and you can see you can see a, a group of kids that you think, "Oh these guys are just a little bit." I hope my kids don't observe too much about the way these kids are behaving. But then five minutes later, your kids are worse. Your kids are actually encouraging these other kids. That's what God was looking at, wasn't it, when he was seeing the Israelites. God put the Israelites around these nations, and these nations, uh, the, the Israelites were worse. So... Husbands and wives live and serve together in unity, glorifying and honoring the Lord as holy in all that you do. Children honor your parents because the Lord tells you to, and God is holy um, <laughs> I didn't know my dad was coming, but my dad's here, so this would be good i um this is not to pump me up either, but i want to, I want to mention something that I thought was, uh, I was just reflecting on this. One of the things that I've always wanted to do as a kid, or as a kid, as, a, as an adult, was get a tattoo. Anybody else here wants to get, want to get a tattoo? No, probably not. Anyway. Um, <laughs> and Dad's shaking his head. <laughs> the one reason why I didn't get a tattoo was because I knew that my parents just, it wasn't going to cut it for them. Now, I'm, I'm married now. I've got my own kids. I've left home. I left home over 10 years ago. I could easily go out and get a tattoo. But if we understand God as, as a holy God when he gives us a command to honor our parents or to love one another or to serve one another in love, then that's not for a period of time. That's for all of the time. And we must do that because we've got to understand that God is holy and God has, a, I guess, a, a benchmark that he wants us to live by. Elders, pastors, teachers, life group leaders, friends, serve one another in love. Take the Holy Spirit. Who here when saying the words Holy, uh, Holy Spirit, you think you're saying a name? I know I'm very guilty and have been for many years of just saying Holy Spirit as a name. But Holy, the, the Spirit of God is what we have. But holy is what characterizes that spirit. That is what we have inside of us, the Holy Spirit of God. What about your prayer life? I have many times talked about with others, the beauty of being able to pray to God wherever I am, in the car, in the shower, you know, on the way to the footy. And that's true. You can pray to God wherever you are. But that should be Those times should be smaller than the times you set apart to spend time with God. Because God is a holy God. God is a God who wants to be recognized as holy. Because that is who he is. This is a silly little example. But I'll say it anyway. When I was about 16 years old, I went to Tasmania. Stayed with a family that were more conservative than mine. And uh, I was in a phase that I'm probably still in. And I was just saying, everything was awesome. And the mother of the house got really frustrated with me after a while. She said, Joel, not everything is awesome. That bike's not awesome. Those clothes are not awesome. That music you listen to certainly isn't awesome. Understand what is awesome. God is awesome. Everything God's created is awesome. That Use the word correctly. Anyway, you get the idea... I just thought, what is going on here? But it is true. When we use the word holy, we must understand that we are describing the very character of God. Now, it would be wrong to leave it here, because if I did, you'd assume that the pursuit of holiness is entirely ours. God says in chapter 36, verse 26, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, And I will put that within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a new heart of flesh. Why? To cause you to walk in my holy name. They could not and we could not do that without the help of the Spirit. Take the five fruits. That's the five fruits. (laughs) Five fruits is a muesli that I have at work. I don't know why I said five fruits. Take, take the fruits of the Spirit, for example. The fruits of the Spirit are things that we can't achieve ourselves. We can't make us more patient. We can't make us more kind. We can't make ourselves more self-controlled. But only through God's grace and a life dedicated to His Word will God bless us with the Spirit, uh, with the fruit of the Spirit. God will bless us with a renewed mind. And a change of heart. Finally, in verse 23, God talks of a shepherd that is to come, that will be the one true shepherd. God starts the section in verse 11 by saying that he will seek out his sheep. He will do that. Then he finishes in verse 23 by saying that he will be sending a shepherd that will be a prince among them. We know that this can't be David, even though he mentions it to David, but we know it's not David, because David had been dead for 400 years. By the way, God describes this shepherd is clearly Jesus as the one shepherd. And Jesus says in John that he is that shepherd. Jesus says that he knows his own and his own know him. What is so special about Jesus as being the one true shepherd is that he guides us, he leads us, but most importantly, he laid his life down for us. Jesus did what no other shepherd could do. He would lay his life down so that he could bring an unreachable God for us, reachable. He would be that, um, he he would make that way. To harp on what he will do, Jesus says it three times in that passage. We could never have saved ourselves or guided ourselves to God or found our way to God. Only because of the thanks be to Jesus And he would die for our gain. He would be that perfect sacrifice that once and for all would take on God's wrath for the sin of this world. And I'm not sure if there's a better picture of holiness than on the day that Jesus died. The love of the the Holy Father and of the Holy Son and of the Holy Spirit that day saw Jesus die on the cross. That was the love that they had for us, that God had for us. But the holiness of the Father meant that sin had to be atoned for. And the full measure of God's wrath had to be poured out on a perfect sacrifice. And God is far too holy for us to just come, come as we are and leave, and, and leave us that way. Thankfully, he gives us his spirit to renew our minds and change our hearts. He requires, dare I say it, full reverence. And a change of heart and mind. He is the loving, caring, and saving, and perfect, holy, creator God who has invited you into a perfect relationship with Him. And to finish, what a brilliant way that He finishes this passage by saying, I am the Lord, I have spoken. Um, If I was a good preacher, I could have preached the whole sermon on just that line because that is such a powerful, encouraging line. And it reminds me of that time when Jesus was on the cross and he says it is finished. After all that had been done and he says it is finished, it is done. So I'll just pray that we would be so thankful for the grace of God that he would shepherd us and that he himself would do that work. And I pray that you, that we would all, um, yeah. If you haven't been able to do that, I pray that you would, um, you would seek God out as He has, seek, has come to you, and that you would give your life to Him. So let's pray. Father God, I'd like to thank you for Your Word. I'd like to thank you that you promise to lead us, that you promise promise to be with our every step, to guide us and to renew our minds and change our hearts so that we would walk in your ways. We thank you for the promise of Jesus and we thank you that through your word and through your spirit, we know that Jesus died on the cross for us. And that we can have a right relationship with you. We thank you Lord for that. We pray all this in Jesus name. Amen.